0: Welcome everyone to Rockin' Nation Podcast. This is a brand new episode of Dive Cuts, an SP Nation College Top 10 podcast. We are on season 5, episode 35. And we're here to talk about your Missouri Tigers in the basketball program. I am your host, Sam Snelling. With me, as always, from the plains of Indiana is
1: Matthew J. Harris. Matt, how are you? The July period is here. The news drought is over. The actual drought probably continues, though.
0: <laughs> the uh, Missouri Tigers actually have a 2023 commitment i think so the last time we chatted i don't even remember what we talked about um there was nothing to talk about and since then um all dennis gates went and, and got his first commitment for the 2023 class from a young man by the name of anthony robinson two what did you say the second I just
1: yeah i i uh, on the birth certificate, it, it probably says Anthony Robinson the second, but I'm just going to call him Anthony Robinson. Uh, so for the sake of saving uh, syllables,
0: yeah. Well, I'm curious, like why the second and not junior? Like, how's that work? Does anyone if anybody, can explain like this side? Like, what's the difference between? I can. I honestly don't. Second,
1: know. I, I I should know, and I honestly don't.
0: Well so any of our listeners, uh if you know uh and you wanna let me know via Twitter or uh I don't know, email, whatever. I'm curious because that's that's interesting to me. Like I get why somebody would be the third, because that's like after junior. You're senior, junior, the third, fourth, fifth, sixth, all that kind of stuff. Uh anyway, uh Anthony Robinson, a six two-ish, three point guard. Um, with Matt, as you were saying, a plus four wingspan, um, out of Tallahassee. So basically a guy that CY has known for a lot of years, uh, as he's sort of grown up in the area and, and liked him a lot, got him on campus in Missouri and got that commitment.
1: How are we feeling? I'm feeling pretty good. This was a guy that, you know, if you look at the offer dates was, in that first kind of like parcel of offers that went out right after the staff got hired. And um, Robinson's a guy that's been recruited for two years. Uh, Charlton young uh, had overseen his recruitment while uh, still in Tallahassee himself. And so it, it makes sense that, you know, one of the first commits would be someone where they've got a long relationship. You know, we talked about in the last pod that this staff has really, I think been trying to, not scramble but you know try and make up time that you know was sort of inevitably lost when you know you're putting together a new staff in April and basically coming in the middle of a recruiting cycle so it makes perfect sense and is almost you know sort of expected one of the first guys they'd get in the boat would be someone where there was a prior relationship um, and a connection and a familiarity um, so Robinson um, also a guy who I remember a year ago in 2021 was sort of getting traction as a guy who played really well, kind of on the 16U circuit, and but never quite like grew into a straight top 150 prospect. But a lot of people were talking about him as toolsy, good length, you know, really quick, you know, a lot of the things you sort of wanted to see. Maybe all the pieces hadn't come together quite yet. Um, But we can get into it. But when you watch him on film, you can see a lot of. You know what may appeal to Missouri and, and this staff. So the timing and sort of the the broad profile of who they've added here makes makes a ton of sense um, as sort of the first commitment to to get on board with this staff.
0: Yeah, and he's uh, so he's listed as a point guard, but uh, you've watched the film. I've watched not I don't think as much as you uh, have watched, but I've watched some, and I think we feel safe in saying like he's a point guard in the same way that, like Sean East is a point guard. Um, probably more of a true combo, uh, just as natural looking off the ball as on the ball. And if not, maybe a little bit more so, you know, but these days, like what defines a point guard, um, I, I think is, is far more broad than maybe like what people were thinking, you know, 25 or 50 years ago with like Bob Cousy. <laughs> Uh, you know, and and like he's, he's a guy who is, more offensive minded, um, not so much a, uh, initiator, a little bit more of a scorer, that kind of thing.
1: Yeah, the one thing I think we have to, as a way of background to kind of get into here is uh, he shared the floor with uh, a uh, Trey Donaldson who was a, one forty level commit. Uh, for Auburn he'll be a freshman this year so they they basically split the ball handling duties between three guys uh, at Florida high which is the lab school for Florida State um Charlie Ward former Heisman winner former New York Nick is their coach and they run a more concept-based offense like that you'll see actions and pieces that you know may be part of sets but it's really you know it's not in motion but it's also not a, an NBA system but you may see things like where they come down and they run a chase pick and roll on one side of the floor in the slot, on the strong side slot. And on the weak side of the floor, they run hammer action. And, you know, for a guy who's getting the ball screen, you know, they've got to read it. You know, if they want to reject, they can kind of attack down the lane. They can try and get in and, you know, get to the rim. They can use it, that ball screen, and, you know, try and, you know, also get downhill a little bit, or they can try and read out you know, a guy coming off the hammer action. But it's really, you know, not an offense where, you know, the point guard comes down, looks over, sees a call, and then runs the offense. It's it's much more conceptual than hard sets. Um, and they kind of trade roles based on who's coming, who's bringing the ball up the floor. It can be any one of three guys. So to your point, like, when his high school team running in the offense, they aren't giving him the ball and saying, hey, you crack the defense open, you read your primary defender, and then you see what action's happening off of it. It it's a little bit more sort of read and react that way. So it's it's nice to see, but you're not really, I think, getting a true gauge on, you know, what you know, we would typically, you know, want to see in point guard play, which is ball screen. Does he can he snake it? Can he get in? You know, what you know, what are the three reads? What's he doing with the primary defender? What's he doing with the secondary defender? You don't see that quite as often here with uh, with Robinson. But um, the one thing I, I do think you can tell with him is uh, he plays with a ton of pace in ball screens. Um, he's not, you know, going to beat you with his first step some of the time. He can really manipulate pace. He's really crafty. He's really good at understanding how to change pace right after he makes that first or second dribble and turns to be able to split defenders or snake it. And the one thing I think, you know, you would want to see him do his play out of jump stops a little bit more, but the kid's not, you know, shy about getting to the rim. And I think the one thing that he's added, or at least his, his high school coach and Charlie Ward told me was, you know, in the last year he's really figured out how to get to his one, two dribble pickup and, you know, get into jumpers there. Now the next step is figuring out what can he do with his floater package and, and sort of jump stops as a scorer. But everything is being sort of talked about in that sort of way as a score first and then making reads off of it. So a little bit more scoring, you know, in terms of his orientation. You know, not a hard, you know, offensive set or system where, you know, he's having to read out and facilitate. So, um, but there's a lot of good pieces there, I think, if you watch them on tape.
0: Yeah, I think it's definitely a, a, an addition that is uh, intriguing and sort of fits with, uh, I think, some of the mold of what we – maybe anticipated a little bit with, uh, with Gates and, and CY and, you know, what they've kind of shown is their preference when they were at Florida State together. And, uh, you know, those, those kinds of long rangey athletes who, uh, you know, maybe don't have quite everything put together yet, but, um, you know, can be really impact defenders from the get go and, um, you know, be able to sort of, Build them up. Uh, otherwise, you know, as I Florida State did a good job of sort of maintaining, uh, you know, quite a bit of a a roster filled with depth pieces that guys that stuck around for multiple years and uh and developed and and turned into you know high level, uh, guys either at the NBA level or or overseas or whatever. But I I think he kind of fits in that mold where. He's not uh, like. I guess, the prime ready-to-go level recruit. But if he's coming in behind somebody with experience like Sean East and playing in a secondary role, maybe Nick Honor comes back, uh, you don't have to worry about throwing him in too early. You can kind of break him in and, and, and get him some run without a whole lot of pressure having to run the show. So I think it, it's a good fit in that way.
1: Yeah, defensively, you, you can see why. They'll like him, too. Um, really aggressive on the ball. Really good at, you know, when at turning his man and really coming, coming backside and sort of, you know, creating, you know, steal opportunities. Uh, he will uh, gamble at times, and he will, you know, get out of position, and he will put, you know, in gambling, he will put, you know, help defenders in a little bit of a bind there. He will reach, um, you know, I think there are times, too, where, you know, like any young guy, you want him to be a little bit more attentive off the ball. He may be a little late in rotation. You'll see some late closeouts, um, some closeouts that aren't really under control. That leads to a drive and lets a guy get into the gap and puts pressure on the defense. Um, In ball screens, it's tough. You know, sometimes I think it depends on the coverage. Florida State High or Florida State University School, um, you know, plays what they call mirroring which is basically drop coverage where it may look like he's late getting over the top of a screen but really he's trying to push the handler you know towards the guy in drop coverage but there are some instances too where you like see him maybe have to chase a guy off the ball where um he gets picked off a little bit easy he doesn't always get skinny around screens but you can see a lot of the sort of the pieces as to why Missouri likes him because his length really shows up he's able to kind of you know, really get use it to, you know, create deflections, to create turnovers. Um, he's got a good, you know, first jump off two feet. And that length shows up, you know, where he's able to contest some drivers from behind and really block shots from behind at six foot three. Um, it makes a difference, too, if he's a little bit late on closeouts. That extra reach helps him maybe contest if he's a little bit late. So, but you can tell that he loves to defend. Um, he He's engaged on the ball. He's got a really good first slide, gets in position there. He can turn dudes. It's just, you know, the usual stuff that, you know, you as a guy who's coached high school basketball, it's all the other kind of, you know, are you attentive off the ball? Are you good, you know, doing stuff, you know, that is you know that is just sort of good within the team defensive construct. But you can see why this staff likes him as, as a potential like point or combo guy. Um, does a lot of things that they would want to do as far as being able to apply some pressure on the ball and he's going to have the length, I think, that's going to help him translate um, for what they want to do being early into gaps and in rotation. So um, he's really shows a lot of promise on that end of the floor.
0: So not a bad start to the class.
1: Um, no, it's not a bad really, developmental pickup.
0: And not a bad start to, you know, what I would kind of consider this like the first sort of opening shot uh, for, you know, Gates and his staff overall as far as uh, you know, high school recruit. Like I think Aiden Shaw, obviously um, like you don't want to diminish, I guess kind of keeping him on board. Uh, but I think from our information, what we were able to kind of gather, that seemed like Aiden was always going to, I guess, maybe give a little bit more of the benefit of the doubt to whoever the coach was. Uh, Cause he, he and his family, I really liked Missouri and like the support staff and all that kind of stuff. Um, And so, you know, Gates basically was able to kind of come in and and at least be uh, serviceable in that regard. So this is like the first guy that they've really kind of added um, out of the high school ranks. Yeah. Um, The rest of the 2023 class is something that we're going to, I guess what we can talk a little bit about. because. Uh you know Trent Pierce is another guy that we're kind of keeping an eye on. He is a uh kind of a four-star wing combo forward out of Oklahoma. Um Missouri's in his final six uh, along with Oklahoma State, uh Oklahoma, Minnesota, Florida, and Illinois.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh but it doesn't look like visits are going to happen to Florida or Illinois. Uh, he's taken visits to Oklahoma, official visits to Oklahoma State, Minnesota, and Missouri. Um, I think unofficials to Oklahoma uh, as well. So it's, I think people are gonna say, well, everybody who's like six foot eight and two hundred pounds calls themselves a wing, when they're probably really a four. Like it's aspirational to call themselves a wing. You put the tape on of Pearson. He he plays on the wing. He is that that is. Not a lie. He, he uh, will guard uh, opposing perimeter players. He is not, you know, posting up a lot. You know, he's an off-ball kind of player. You, you know, I don't think he's a guy who you see is really a catch-rip-go guy. He's more of kind of a, a one dribble pull-up guy or, you know, come off a screen and get a shot uh, out of a spot-up. But uh, that that is not a misnomer. He plays on the wing. Um, really long. Um, wouldn't be surprised if he's close to a seven-foot wingspan which would make him, I think, about plus four from a 6'8", six, 6'9", six, height. And, yeah, I, I think the one thing that, you know, stood out to me was less the offensive game than he. The two games I watched were conference games down there, and he plays in a really, really good conference in Tulsa, the Frontier League there. Um, And in one of their games, they played a, a school Bixby, which is where Parker Friedrichson, another Top 110 prospect is another guy that held a Missouri offer can basically get a shot off in a phone booth, range out to NBA distance, even grade off one pickup. He gets into his shot motion really quick. So he's a good guy to try and watch as far as, you know, coming off ball screens or you cannot go under a ball screen against Parker Friedrichson. Um, Trent Pierce drew him. He guarded him for probably the 28 minutes he was on the floor, did a pretty decent job. Also played uh Bartlesville High School, and they have a top 30-ish kid in 2024 in uh David Castillo, uh, who also has a Missouri offer. Um, and that's a you know, a guy who plays in a ton of ball screens wants to get downhill. Pierce guarded him, you know, after about the first couple of minutes took over that as the main assignment and, you know, did a pretty good job there. So, you know, I think people are gonna look at his frame and they're gonna sort of say this is a big, but he handles himself pretty well in space he's you know an attentive off ball defender his length is a real asset for him you know if he goes under he still has a ton of length to contest shots you know it'll be interesting what that looks like at the you know high major level if you know his lateral agility holds up and stuff but it's not a misnomer i'll say it again he he's a legitimate wing prospect at 6'8" 180 and um that that certainly qualifies as a velociraptor in charlton or uh charlton young's uh definition i would say yeah the uh it is one of those
0: things where like you know we've talked a lot about you know like your position is who you can guard yep um you know with the i VI- Ideal uh, part of it being that you can guard multiple positions. You can slide up. Um, you know, most of these guys that are like you know, the, the kind of list as maybe like a combo forward, are probably going to be able to defend one through four. Um, but what's interesting, so even on like the you know the depth uh, chart, like right now I've kind of got Noah Car listed as wing, which really is not I as entirely a fair to him. Yeah. I, I mean I've got him mainly in that spot because like there's already plenty of dudes in that class at combo forward <laughs> so it's like let's let's try to even this up a little bit so I was I looking at who he guarded
1: at Northern Iowa are mostly 4s and 5s Yeah
0: so. he like I I think he's going to play he's going to see like some fairly significant minutes at the 5 because he's you know he's a big body he's not super uh I man I think he's crafty in his mobility but I don't think he's a guy who um, you're going to feel super confident if, you know, a pick and roll happens and he gets switched on to a point guard. Like, you, you know, whereas, you know, maybe somebody like Aiden Shaw, uh, you're a little more confident, um, you know. And so I think like when you talk about switchability, uh, Trent Pierce is a guy who probably with his size, uh, you know, if he's like a true 6'8 and he has that kind of wingspan, then I think you're probably looking at a guy that's going to see a fairly significant amount of minutes at the four spot, um, but it doesn't necessarily mean that he's like a true combo forward. It's just that the way that more modern offenses are being run these days, that you you know slide guys from like you know off ball two to three to four pretty easily, and I, I think he'll see significant minutes, um, or he would see a, a more significant minutes in, in those positions.
1: Yeah, I I think his tape so far has been really good just to see him in that defensive perspective. I think a lot of times, you know, when we're, or at least when I'm watching full games, you don't get a ton where it's, you know, 60 or 70% stuff you're clipping is on the defensive end of the floor. But that's what it's been with Pierce, and that's sort of been a heartening thing to be able to see. Okay, yeah, this guy's, the conception and sort of the label that's been put on him is accurate. And, you know, I think I'll probably have to watch um, some of, Team Griffin, they're at the EYBL stop in Kansas City this weekend, but there's a stream of that, so I may have to watch him with his AAU team. And he plays with um, Trey Johnson, who's like a top ten kid uh, next year, and I think he's got one other really, really good teammate on that roster. So I'll probably have to watch him to see how he fits in that context and against you know top tier sort of national guys and on that circuit. But you know, you put the tape on and and you kind of feel like okay. I see the concept here. And it, this is this type of player. You know, maybe the ranking isn't what people expected, but when I watch him, I think, okay, this kind of looks like a Florida State player that, you know, mm-hmm. that we've come to expect. You know, rangy, really lean. I mean, it's not an exaggeration. He's 180. I mean, there's, he's, he doesn't have narrow shoulders. He's got broad enough shoulders. You can put some good weight on him. But he's also got the things that I think you want, which he's he's got good lateral agility. You know, the first slide is solid. If he gets beat, he can flip his hips, get low, and get in trail position. You know, he's aware off ball. You know, he doesn't look like he's completely marooned in space. You know, he's, he's comfortable sliding and having to get skinny at mesh points and, and screens. So it's just, it's not like you're gonna things that jump off the screen where you go, oh my God, this guy's an athletic freak. But you look at a lot of his functional athleticism and you go, okay, there's some, there's some stuff in the toolkit here. Um, the jumper looks pretty good uh, in the games I watched. Um, it wasn't really falling for him, but he's shooting I think like 40% in the EYBL from three on about four attempts per game. So if that holds up, I've like got that. a guy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you're getting a guy who, you know, is going to shoot upper thirties, and at the high school level, who's got a good, solid mechanical shot, whose sh- who shot mechanics are good, and who can legitimately, you know, I'd say handle two through four in a switching system, that, that's a nice pickup. That's a really, really good pickup. Um, and so, again, he, I, he's raw. You know, the things I've seen at least, again, I always try to keep in mind it's a cu- only a couple of games, so the sample size is small, but on um, the handle, uh, needs to come away, come a ways, but th- there's still a lot of pieces there that, that you can see fit, and that really sort of align with what we saw. You know, uh, Gates and Young really sort of implement, and you know, when they were down in Tallahassee. So, uh, really a guy that I would encourage people to sort of go try and see some tape of and get and get some good eyes on, because it's he is sort of I think kind of ticks a lot of the boxes that we would have expected from this staff uh in terms of wing prospects
0: so uh, outside of uh of those two guys i know that um there's been you know you mentioned parker friedrichson earlier there's been some interest uh there we haven't really heard a whole lot recently to see kind of where that is um he's a guy that uh that you know you me and uh at Data Mizzou, uh, Matt Watkins certainly like a lot. Um, mainly because we like guys who can shoot the rock, and that guy can shoot the rock. Um, they've also got, they, they did actually offer Michaela Rich, who is a guy who I think we all assumed was sort of a Mizzou lock uh, under Cons Martin, because you know Martin and, and his staff were recruiting uh, Rich quite a bit uh he hasn't quite blown up um he's sort of a he's sort of a power forward built into the body of a wing um <laughs> but he's explosive athletically
1: yeah yeah i i feel bad because you know it's a he's a guy that you know you'd watch as a freshman sophomore year and you'd say you know just athletically in you know terms of you know raw power off the floor you know, was just way ahead of his peers, and you could kind of see. You know, he was a six- yeah, kind of
0: kind of say like, yeah, he's a little bit like a almost like Zion Williamson light. Like yeah. he's just powerful body, explosive. Um, But what position does he play?
1: <laughs> and I, and that was the thing. It was like, okay, he's six foot five as a as a freshman sophomore. It, is he going to add two more inches? Is he going to get to that sort of six seven? size where you're like all right yeah this is a hyper explosive wing you know four guy or is he gonna you know just kind of stay stuck in that you know sort of you know kind of positional in between spot there um mark chambers the coach told me a year ago he felt like people underrated the kids jumper and you know he felt like a lot of the athletic tools were there and people were you know Weren't really, you know, looking at the entire package; that they were just looking at like the question of who could he guard. And I think that's going to be a, sort of a pressing question. His offers right now are sort of in that OVC MVC MAC tier. Not bad programs at that level, but you know, we haven't seen like I'd say before this like his best offer was probably Slew or Bradley, probably were his best offers before Missouri came in. Um, so I'm I'm really sort of curious where he fits on the board, but in terms of just raw power and athleticism, he's, he's high major ready, but there's some other kind of guess positional fit issues that sort of sit out there, but he's definitely worth monitoring. And he had a really, really good June kind of like Christian Jones did a year ago, had a really, really good June at team camps in Illinois and, and drew some interest there. It'll be interesting what he does with, with Ramey jets sort of on the independent circuit this year. And, you know, if Missouri makes an effort to get out there, I think that's, you know, going to be kind of telling where they're putting their bodies and where the staff is. Do they get somebody out to see him this month and sort of see how he fares there? But, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a long-term bet. And we'll see if, if, you know, anybody else comes in, uh, and, you know, really wants to commit to seeing him as a power five prospect.
0: Yeah. Um, So uh, I think the other guy that we've been maybe tracking a bit is Aaronson Page. Um, Things have gone a little quiet there. Looks like he's planning a visit to Indiana.
1: Yep. Yep.
0: And like where where else has he been?
1: He's been to Cincinnati. uh, Cincinnati. I think. Who also just
0: offered Parker Friedrichson?
1: Yep. Yep. Uh, Wes Miller uh, is. bringing bringing the energy there he's he's got since he's sort of in the mix now for some top 100 level kids um and you know took a year there kind of put together a solid season and now and really really sort of trying to you know elbow his way into sort of the atlanta market there and, and get make them a player the the page recruitment's interesting because he's got cincinnati in the mix for uh probably one of the best point guards in the class and isaiah collier who plays with page uh, uh, on the grassroots circuit. And so uh, they've sort of been recruited as a tandem there. That's with the caveat that lots of people talk about wanting to team up in college. It rarely happens, but that's, that's sort of been the play for Cincy. Um, I sort of like this one because um, uh, I think Kenya Hunter and Charlton Young are both two guys with deep, deep connections. Hunter Hunter is with, uh, Indiana staff, both deep ties in sort of Georgia and Florida. So this is a fun kind of head recruiter battle that's playing out right now. But um I, I like I like Paige. I think I talked to him a little bit on the last pod, but uh really, really like just all the kind of tools he has as a potential roller and sort of you know four or five guy in a pick and roll heavy scheme. But uh yeah, he, he's sort of an undersized post at six eight two twenty he's kind of the opposite of Trent Pierce. They're both about probably the same height. One's got 40 pounds on the other one plays on the wing and the other one is very, very much an interior presence. So, uh, but page is a guy that, that I think would be a really, really nice pickup, uh, for Missouri. Uh, if, if it's looking to grow into a more ball screen, uh heavy system.
0: Yeah. I thought, uh, we used to sort of make jokes about, um, you know, Conza Martin heading towards a lineup of guys who are all like six foot seven. Um, looks like Dennis Gates might be headed that way with guys who are like six foot eight. Um, um,
1: maybe, maybe.
0: <laughs> just keep uh, if they can reel in Page and and Aiden Shaw, and you get the uh, um, you get Pierce, and you know, just need a couple big guards. There you go.
1: Yep. Yep. Uh- the I'm trying to think if there's anybody else that's kind of worth watching out there at this point. Uh, I'm looking at my I have the spreadsheet open here. Um, I have Jordan Butler and Jordan Burks, uh, as two guys that that I have been keeping an eye on and what they're going to do. Uh, Jordan Butler is John Butler's little brother. Um, uh, John Butler played at Florida State, was recruited by, uh, Charlton Young. Uh, they're sort of out of the Carolinas. And Jordan Burks is a 6'9", uh, 185 combo forward out of a South Florida place for Florida Rebels on the AU circuit and had been recruited by a CY before making the jump here. There have been reports that both were sort of looking at taking visits or potentially taking visits to Missouri. Those are some guys I'm keeping an eye on. Um, and then Cam Christie, I was going to say Christy. Yeah. Another, uh, his brother, Max just went in the NBA draft to the LA Lakers played at Michigan state last year, former top 20 national prospect. Um, Christy's another guy who's got a, a really pure stroke. So that I think that's sort of the interesting thing there is they, is they're looking at recruiting guys in, you know, Christy and Friedrichsen who are, you know, really, really good shooters at the prep level. And, you know, you'd hope that would translate and scale up and give you some floor spacing there. So the, It'll be interesting what they do with their spots. I think we've we've talked a little bit about, you know, how many can they have? They can anywhere between like what four and nine spots open? Uh, yeah, so four at
0: minimum. Um, basically because uh they're heavy on the seniors this year, and uh four of those guys have expiring eligibility. Um, there are additional seniors who can take a a COVID year, if they wanted. Um, yeah. And then obviously uh, any potential transfers, um, which I think there's always with a new staff uh, that are carrying holdover players. And even though there aren't that many holdovers, there's always a high likelihood that some guys maybe make uh, their own exit. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think we've been kind of saying between four and nine. <laughs> is broad
1: yeah at this point i sort of look at the board and see there are 15 names that i would probably say are are still in play at this point um there's probably about another eight or nine that i think have like drifted out of the picture and then there are uh, i think three that have pretty much cut missouri from the list so and probably half of those 15 guys are guys that i would monitor so There were a lot of names, but I think there's probably anywhere between like Robinson was on the board. So there were probably about 10 that I'd been keeping tabs on um, at this point. But I think if they can land Robinson, if they were to lock down Pierce, you know, shortly after the July period ends or, you know, in early September, I think that would be a win for them. The real question is, do they want to? I think that they would probably want to sign three or four guys in the fall just to you know, backstop anything there, depending on what their needs are. They, they were going to need a point guard or, or a ball handler. Robinson checks that. If they were to land Pierce, it would give them one of their wings. If they were to land Page, it would fill a post spot. And then you sort of get into a weird flex position based on need. Do you want another combo guard or a wing? But...
0: Take a shooter.
1: That... That would sort of be the, the the question there is if you could get a, a Cam Christie or a Parker Friedrichson in that spot, that would that would be sort of the upside play there. So I think if you could get Robinson, a Matt, Cam, I like
0: guys who can make shots.
1: If you landed Robinson, Christie, Pierce, <laughs> and Page, like if that was the best case, I think it's that's a really really solid class. Those are, you know, all guys that are probably going to fall between. 75 and about 175 in the in the composite and I'm it's stretched out because you know where Robinson is right now he hasn't quite moved in so I'm being you know pretty conservative in the range there but you know Page is you know a top 70 kid Pierce is a top 80 or 90 kid Regickson's a top 120 kid or you know Cam Christie's kind of in the same range probably like a top 140ish kid if you know that's not you know the kind of you know, eye popping class, but you know, that some might expect, you know, here we you know that with the staff and it's sort of recruiting chops, but for coming in, you know, middle of a cycle, if they were to land three guys between, I think like 60 and one forty, that, 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 that's good work. That, that, that's good work for for the staff and they would have filled needs. And then I think you can, the staff has shown that it will go to the JUCOs and it can work in the transfer portal. So I think that they were to, you know, get four spots, you know, fill the four spots they know they're going to have for next year and, and get the needs that, you know, we think they're going to have that, that, that would be good handiwork. Um, and we'll see what happens in July. We'll see if any other targets sort of pop out, but, um, well, I've also
0: like, we haven't really talked about Matt Reed who, uh, last article I saw from him, he did list Mizzou as, you know, those being in contact. And that was, I mean that was like Dennis Gates first offer out of the gate which um I you know no pun intended on that one but uh like his first offer in the 2023 class went to Matt Reed who's like a 6-8 uh sort of you know high post level kid from Texas uh and Reed hasn't really blown up as far as his offers um he's been kind of staying like that um
1: he took a visit to you and I. UNI, like that. that kind of Mo Valley type of range.
0: Yeah, he got an offer from like Colorado State, you know, which is Washington know, State. West is yeah, like those are yeah. That's that's right. He and and Linder's interested too. So he's he's like he's hit the trifector for, uh, you know, for for our little Slack channel <laughs> being <laughs> excited about him as a prospect. Like, oh, Nico Linder and, uh, Kyle uh and Smith. Smith all like him. He's, he's we, gotta be awesome. And we like ben <laughs>
1: stuff too. So it's like that yeah. deep indie cut recruit there. It's like, oh, he's a, <laughs> he's a point nine two in the composite and people that run high post based offenses love him. <laughs> Missouri fans will be irate, but you know what? We'll, we'll love you. Matt Reed we will love you. We'll take you here. Um, yeah. Chris Parker was a guy that I I haven't seen a lot on. He was um again out of South Florida, um, had strong connections to CY. He's kind of slipped a little bit in the rankings on this spring, not like falling off a cliff, but just falling from like top fifty to like top eighty ish level. Um you know, he was a guy that I thought, you know, might be a guy they take at the they might land at the point guard or combo guard spot but it winds up being Robinson. So I guess the question is, do they feel like they're, they're going to have enough ball handling back or, or do they just want to take one young point guard and then go into the portal and get somebody with a little bit more experience? You know, if they, they could conceivably take Parker and Robinson, but do you really want to backfill, you know, your, your point guard spot with two freshmen? Uh, I almost think they might take one, see if they're going to, you know, hold on to Sean East for another year or maybe get somebody else there. So, I feel like Robinson kind of was the ball handler they opted for, and we'll just see what they do with the two wing spots. But I do think they're going to need um, another post player, so that's why I've been focused on Page. But there's really two spots where it's like, where do you feel like they project the need being greatest? I, I do think a wing is probably in there too. So probably a, a ball handler, a wing, and a big, and then a wild card spot for them. Um, but yeah, it's. There's some possibilities out there. I, I think this is going to be a class, or it could be a class that, again, uh, this is we've joked about this. You know, this is kind of the class that you know, you in hindsight you almost kind of wish Gonzo Martin signed because it would at least I think cool some heels, set some reasonable expectations, and sort of give this staff time to really go to work in 2024 and get the kinds of players that I think fans want to see this program land is ranking wise, you know, with the numbers next to their name, but there's possibly for this to be a really, really solid class and sort of, you know, get the pieces in place for Dennis to sort of scale up his vision for, for what it, uh, a program in should look like at the high major level with him in charge.
0: Yeah. I agree with you that this is uh this is like a nice class, but um I think we've been at least trying to set expectations that 24, um, is really the the one where you're gonna get a better idea of what to expect. So I think we're on the same page there. Um, Speaking of the same page, UCLA and USC have joined the Big Ten. Um, They are on the same page with the Big Ten uh, moving forward. So now we have two super conferences. This is really a horrible segue, but I'm gonna go with it because I did wanna talk about this briefly before we get out of here. Uh, the Big Ten and the SEC have two monster conferences now, um, with the Big Ten going a little bit out of their footprint uh, to go into the Los Angeles market. <laughs>
1: <laughs> just swerved a little just, bit Yeah, there. just
0: beta left turn to Albuquerque. And, uh, and the SEC adding, obviously, Texas and Oklahoma um, coming up soon. That like this is going to get weird because now like rumors it's going to
1: get weird. Yeah,
0: I, well, yeah, it's going to get weirder because now like it's rumored that the Big Twelve is aggressively pursuing teams in the Pac-12, but not all the teams, Matt. Not all the teams. So it's like they're going after Arizona, Arizona State, Washington, Oregon. What, Utah
1: and Colorado, yeah, the, the I
0: think, was the last one? They were only talking about the, adding They're sex. going after
1: the four corners. They're going after the four <laughs> corner schools. I, uh, and look. Which I don't hate. I don't hate, like, those four schools in isolation. Like, kind of makes sense with, like, if you were just to take those four schools and put them with the eight other schools that are left over, From the Big Twelve, I'd be like, "Oh, that's actually kind of an interesting conference." You know, it's kind of the Great Plains sweeping out towards you know the desert. That's you know, I wouldn't have hated that. It's just it's weird with kind of the AAC. Yeah,
0: uh, since they've added the AAC schools, which is like you know going into Florida.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and and West
0: Virginia. It's just like look, and I've I've said before, you've said before, this is all football driven. Football is the money maker. Uh it's what everybody is is trying to, you know, consolidate and in and, and my opinion, like some of this is basically like as big of a cash grab as you can get, like, while the cash is still available. because 'Cause I'm not entirely sure that's gonna be the case, you know, in ten or fifteen years. I just don't think that uh the thirst for college football is gonna be as strong. Um Maybe I'm naive, but I, I I think with fewer kids playing, uh, playing football, like we we have actual data that says that fewer kids are playing football than ever before, and um, you know, like we're discovering more and more things with the CTE stuff. So it's it's it is, I think, like a really big grab for cash especially as the power dynamics are shifting with nil and players basically being able to get you know money above the table um yeah but it's it really makes in my opinion like like basketball is obviously what this podcast is about it makes basketball a lot less interesting in my opinion and it makes the non-revenue sports just an absolute disaster like ucla sending you know like a women's soccer team you know, to Piscataway, New Jersey, it's like in the middle of a of a week. Just sounds horrible, um, but that's where we're
1: at. I think it's it's not a novel thing to say, but this this to me is a network driven realignment phase we're in now, and like consolidation. I don't think it's realignment; it's consolidation. At this point, and it's TV networks that are driving it, because even if, you know, they, you know, profess innocence here. The valuations tell you the truth, like if a con like the Pac-12 is going to go through this, they're going to go. They voted to reopen their media rights negotiations. They're going to go to Fox and ESPN and say, give us a valuation with these different lineups. And the networks are going to influence those decisions based on the valuations they get. Yeah. So it's it's not you know an explicit hey take these teams, but there's clearly a nudge there, and and I think that that's not unexpected. But I think the one thing that, and I get like the sort of calculus behind it here, which is, you know, TV sets are dead. You know, thank God. You know, in a certain sense, Missouri's not going through this now, or else I think they'd be absolutely screwed. Um, Nate got Nate Edwards got this in his piece today. You know, if you look at the media markets and sort of the television engagement, Missouri is strictly a middle-class middle of the road program on the football side, but it just happened to a decade ago, have enough TV markets that could deliver, you know, cable boxes when that still mattered um, and got into the SEC. And, you know, now with cord cutting and streaming and sort of the way content is consumed, brand matters more than geography and market size to a certain extent. I mean, the LA market is still huge and that, that still matters. But I I think to an extent now it's brand driven. And I think what's going to be interesting to see is college football to me has always been something that's more affinity based. Like you, you went to a college and you root for that program because it's your alma mater. And yeah, there are casual viewers out there, but I don't think it's quite like the NFL or the NBA or professional sports where a really enticing matchup is going to get a neutral visit a neutral sort of, you know, nonpartisan viewer to watch. I do think there's only there are some brands that do that in college football, but I don't think as an organizational tool, it's a proven way to do that. And we're tearing up a lot of history, a lot of rivalries, a lot of, you know, I think the things that make the sport attractive under a thesis that I'm not quite sure is, 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 you know, sound at this point, we're going to figure that out soon enough. And who knows, you know, people have doubted football's drawing power forever and it still does big numbers and people still tune in. So we'll see. But I think that, that's what's interesting to me here is, we're tearing up a system that I think really was sort of the fabric that made, you know, college football so attractive to folks towards a professional model, which, you know, does that really hold a lot of water as as far as you know putting together teams and, and alignment that that makes sense for the sport and for the good of, you know, college athletics? I, I don't know. I'm not gonna pretend to know. I'm not gonna sit here and, you know, you know predict something that's a decade away but i do think the consolidation aspects a, a big risk here um the other thing i'll say is we need to stop talking about nil as ruining college football and ruining college athletics <laughs> right. the thing the the thing that is fundamentally changing it are networks you know giving these valuations it's chancellors you know looking at this and saying we need to make this move you know to ensure you know, the biggest revenue stream possible. It's ADs that are going along with this and voting for it and putting, you know, kids in this position where we're going to have kids that, you know, are going to basically spend half a school week. Like if you have to fly out on a Monday, play on a Tuesday, come back on a Wednesday, you're going to miss half a school week here. NIL's not doing that. It's the power brokers and, and the people who are supposed to be in positions of, you know, authority and thought and, you know, you know good you know good deliberative processes that are doing this. You know, Nil could have functioned in the old system as much as the new one here. So those are just my two things here. I think we have to be very, very careful about sort of assigning, you know, credit or blame for what's fundamentally changing the system. and it's not the players, you know, even still getting a modicum of what they're probably worth in the open market. it's It's the adults that, that are doing this and that are driving this change you know, for good or ill at this point. We'll see what it is, though.
0: Yeah, I I agree with that take. That you know, I think I think a lot of people are maybe a little shocked that, um, you know, maybe the amount of money that's being thrown around with some of this NIL stuff. Uh, and I, I look at what the revenue it, streams are. Right. And I, but I, I also think like there's there's going to be like a settling. Like I think the the mad dash right now is for, you know, like a lot of unproven recruits. Uh, you know at least on the fo- football this, side yeah, this is what you know happened. and and so it, eventually it'll they'll figure out that like hey yeah you know this isn't really the best <laughs> investment let's uh you know let's entice kids with like a, a base to get on campus and then let's pay the guys that are actually winning football games um you know it is a little bit different in basketball because you know like a one five star prospect can certainly you know do a lot of load carrying but uh you know it just isn't the same case in football. So I I think there will be a leveling out with NIL. I think that the the panic right now is that people are just sort of shocked at the amount of money that's being thrown around
1: there. And and that's fair. I mean, I but I do think it sort of justifies or it under, it justifies the argument. These kids should be compensated. I think the, what's interesting here just as an intellectual exercise to watch like a labor market actually try and sort itself out. That's what's happening here you know, this thing's been around for a year, in five years, once, you know, athletic departments and, you know, cooperatives and, you know, recruits have gone through this, I think we're going to have, you know, sort of a more natural process and values are going to be a little bit easier to peg and things will be fine there. But I think, again, what's going to be really, really fascinating is, you know, is the business model sustainable in an environment where you've basically ditched you know, regional, you know, history and sort of connections and things like that. Is that going to be a bigger threat to potentially to, you know, revenue streams than players getting a fraction of sort of their fair market value? I don't know. Um, As a, you know, I don't know what this means, you know, right now for a basketball product in any sense, you know, I'm curious what the sec does um, as far as adding pieces at this point, I, I, You know, I, you know, I read the same pieces that everyone else does and, you know, see the names that are out there, you know, and, but none of the names that are being discussed are going to be brought into this conference for, you know, for basketball as a a headlining factor here. You know, if look at the schools that are being left out on the stoop right now, you know, we have Kansas, you know, we have Duke, you know, we have Arizona is not being talked about as a top property in this, you know, big 12 know sort of expansion you know that that may unfold here it's it's football driven and if you've got a good basketball brand I guess that's good like UNC is being talked about as a potential target because of its brand but UNC is attracted to the Big Ten for a lot of other reasons it's got a it's a land-grant university it's an AAU member that has a really really good overall athletic department it sits in the 10th largest state in the country and it does have a flagship program there, but no one's going to get their football football programs, respectable, like they're not respectable enough that you, that you could take them. So it, I think that's the thing here. Like we're going to talk about the impact of basketball and all this settles out. Um, I think the sec is going to have a really, really good slate of basketball programs in, you know, 2025 when Texas and Oklahoma come in, um, the big tens, you know, USC has you know improved to a point where it's a basically an NCAA tournament team every year under Andy Infield, Mick Cronin. I'm happy for him. As a spirit animal, he belongs in the Big Ten, and baby, he's there. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, Mick! If there was ever a coach who belonged in the Big Ten, it's Mick Cronin, and he's there now. He's there now, Mick. If there's any coach who you needed to see in West Lafayette on a Thursday night in February, it's Mick Cronin. And now we get that, um, but yeah, it's 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 fascinating. And I, I I but I do want to say I also feel for programs that are, you know, the Apple Cup that's gonna go away, you know, the Civil War that may go away between Oregon State and Oregon or may go be in the same position as Missouri Kansas. It's it's brutal. It's brutal to see those things sort of be put at risk and at jeopardy for the sake of revenue you know i i think that's so much of what makes this sport unique for all of its ills and i think that it's those sort of things in that history and that collective sense of identity that led us to overlook a lot of things like players not getting paid for so <laughs> right. long and i hate to view it as such a you know a zero-sum game between okay now players get paid and now our programs get to go play great games but somebody else has to suffer so it's it, that's the unfortunate thing uh, about this as well Is it, it feels like the sacrifices that we're giving up you know they're not you know life ending or anything but i mean it's still it still sucks it's still it still sucks to lose those little pieces of connections and have them fray uh the way they are
0: yeah and it's definitely kind of interesting because you know there are a lot of schools that you know, have long sort of been the middle lower class of of their leagues for a long time, and you know, I think like Missouri really fit for a long time in the Big Eight, in the Big, uh, you know, twelve even because like that that middle to lower tier was all very close to each other. Um, yeah, tightly compact. You know, and so that's uh, yeah, the move to the SEC has obviously you know been a little bit of an eye opener because they're. Sort of realizing, you know, how deep the pockets are in the SEC and and how much, even those like middle class teams are willing to to spend and uh and and so it's difficult, you know, M- Missouri right now has the benefit of of having been in the SEC for ten years, um, you know, but like Wazoo doesn't have that, Oregon State doesn't have that, and those are programs that really historically are kind of in line. Um, you know, with what Missouri was probably spending on output. Uh, and and because they were not able to, you know, and I, like we can laud Mike Alden, Brady Deaton, and all those guys for kind of maybe for seeing some of this. Uh, I don't necessarily know that that's the case. I think the relationships in the, you know, in the big 12 at that point had gotten so toxic that it, yeah. it made all the sense in the world to, to look for a place that was not that um and while well, i think you know maybe you and i probably agree that we would personally rather see missouri in the big 10 like i the the move has been uh a net positive for the long term viability of Mizzou athletics um
1: or so we think or so we think it is yeah i mean, I mean
0: like the, the the next move like you know like i think that's one of the things that that nate is maybe more worried about than i am um you know cuz i
1: i it is always possible that none like, of us can see what's going to happen in in 2032 or 34 or 36. Right. We we just don't know what the market looks like but but yeah, I mean, I I will I'll let you continue, but I I get I get where where his head's at.
0: Yeah, so I, like I, you know, I'm obviously like I'm not looking that far down the road because I also you know, I'm also of the mindset that it's impossible to project you know, the, the level of interest in in a sport that, you know, maybe, maybe you have a harder time finding guys to play, um, you know, in, in 30 years and 40 years or whatever, like, uh, but I think for the next 10 to 15 years, like at least, I mean, Missouri is in a really good position. Um, hopefully they can, I guess, withstand the rest. Um, anything else you want to say before we get out of here?
1: No, no, just just you know we're in the july period um there are streams available if you would like to poke around the internet and find them uh there are guys on the recruiting board that we've mentioned here um do some googling around go see if you can you know track down uh some opportunities to watch those guys live um i I think that's you know something i i believe (laughs) i wish we would do more of is before we you know profess love or you know declare a guy to be an essential piece go watch three or four games of them and just really get a sense for how they play and you know what they do well and sort of how they fit. So that's my thing is watch more basketball. Just do that. It's July. Watch more basketball. (laughs) See the future.
0: Chances are, if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably more likely than not to actually take that advice. um, than if you're only turning in during the season. Uh, So with that all being said, um, thank you everybody for tuning in um make sure that you are subscribed to the podcast be wherever you download and listen to your podcast uh whether that's apple Podcasts, the google play store if you are subscribed uh you also get before the box score um where you can hear and hate listen to nate edwards uh complain about missouri's future and the ever optimistic uh, bk brandon K- bk kiley all there is to know about mizzou football um and then head over to rockinvation.com and click on all the things. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter at SamT. Snelling. Please give Matt a follow, he's full of all kinds of wonderful information and not just somebody who lamely retweets what Matt says. Uh, at MattJharris85. We will be back in two weeks. Uh, we're heading towards the end of season five. It's going to be about time to, to uh, pick out some new music and then um a top eight twitter question should be coming out uh soon so look for that maybe tomorrow um until then
1: soon as in, in like eight hours is what yeah
0: so we're this is wednesday uh july 6th i haven't said that yet uh, so probably on thursday you'll be seeing tweets from me about top eight let's get on it uh see you in two weeks everybody